Amen in the morning. I ask you to stay standing for the reading of God's Word, our Old Testament lesson from Psalm 67. As you turn there, I just would like to acknowledge I've been a little congested the last day or two, so I appreciate your grace in bearing with me. Uh, I trust that the Lord will be strong in my weakness. Uh, we're continuing through Psalms this summer. Uh, this is the third week of Quinn's sabbatical. We have three remaining. Uh, and today, Psalm 67 comes to us in the second book of the Psalms. Some have referred to it as uh, the Elohistic book of Psalms, meaning it uses the broader name of God more prevalently um, than the covenant name of God. And you'll notice that in our psalm today. Uh, you don't see the all caps personal name of God, Lord. You see God, the God of all people, the God of all nations, the one who created and sustains the world um, by the word of his power. So here is Psalm 67. To the choir master with string instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I'd love to pray real quick and ask for help. Gracious God, I pray now that you be faithful to do what we cannot do, um, but in the same way that the rain falls to the ground and accomplishes that which you intend for it to, namely growing fruit, that uh, now as your word falls among us, you grow fruit in our lives, change us and make us more beautiful so that in the world we would be seen as transformed men and women as a transformed community that's beautiful for you and draws people to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up as a child most nights before bed, my mother would pray over my siblings and I that prayer from Aaron in number six, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. I remember that making me feel very safe, protected, kept by God. But when my wife was growing up, her father would pray over her and her siblings another prayer from Scripture, one that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 9. Lord of the harvest, 
please, will you send laborers into your harvest field, even send these kids? So at first glance, it can seem that the two prayers are somewhat opposed to each other. What's Aaron praying that God would keep, shield, protect, care for his people, while Jesus was praying that they would be sent out, laboring outdoors, amidst the helpless and harassed sheep, bringing in the harvest. In other words, the one inwardly focused, while the other is outwardly focused. Psalm 67 shows us that the, the two dynamics are not at all opposed to each other, but are actually one. It is as God blesses his people with grace that his salvation is made known in the world. So right from the beginning, before we move any further, the one thing I think this psalm has us remember is that the very reason you've been shown any grace at all is to embody that grace outside. The church has been shown grace in order to embody grace to those outside the church. We, like our father Abraham, Genesis 12, have been blessed by God so that through us all the nations of the world might be blessed. This psalm is a call to mission. There's some evidence that this psalm would have been sung during the time of harvest. You can see verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. So you might imagine the people of Israel bringing in armloads of, of the harvest, preparing for a grand feast. And, and as they see the blessing around them, they would simultaneously be singing the reason for that blessing. Look at all this blessing from God. Look at the prosperity we've been given, not only spiritually, in all areas of life. Look at the way he's made us flourish. And as they beheld all that goodness, they would simultaneously be reminded that the very reason they've been given any of that at all was not for them, but so that through them, the nations, those around them, would see and know how God works and would be brought to them. We read this in 1 Peter. The same is true for the church. We exist as a light to the world. We've been chosen by him that we might proclaim his excellencies among the world. All along, the chosen people of God have been chosen in order to make his salvation known outside. This is what Psalm 67 shows us. And just by way of structure for the remainder of our time, we'll take that in three parts. I'd like to look at the logic of the psalm in verses 1 and 2. Um, the crescendo of the psalm in verses 3 through 5. And then lastly, the hope of the psalm in verses 6 and 7. So first, the logic of the psalm. In verse 1, we see a prayer that God would bless us. And as I mentioned earlier, this psalm doesn't refer to the Lord that 
all caps translation of Yahweh that your Bible has, the personal covenantal name of the Lord. But this song always refers to God. So this prayer begins with a request to the God of all people, the one true God, the one who created and sustains the world by the word of his power. Who, who is God? He has all power. So the mightiest men of history, all the pharaohs and Caesars and kings, all the presidents and prime ministers and dictators, they're all just palms in his hands. He knows everything. This very moment, he sees the bottom of the ocean floor as clearly as he sees the top of Mount Everest, as clearly as he sees the neurons firing in your brain right now. He speaks Spanish and Mandarin, Russian and Swahili, and he knows right now what's happening on every street and every block of Hong Kong, just as well as he knows what's happening under every tree in every jungle in Brazil. And he knows that more intimately than you know what's happening in this room right now. He's present everywhere, in every place, at every time. So that means if you were to travel to the moon or to Mars, you would be no nearer to or farther from him than you are right now. And time doesn't bind him. That means he sees Adam and Eve right now as clearly as he sees us. Our, our language breaks down to describe the glory and majesty and might of God. And the psalm begins, may God bless us. Three times, us, us, us. And who is the us? It's Israel. Who, in the grand scheme of things, are rather small, and in relation to the neighboring nations, seemingly insignificant people living sometime during the first millennium BC. We don't know the details of when the psalm was written. So I think we can see why one commentator referred to this prayer as the scandal of particularity. Do you hear the presumption? May the vast, great, almighty God be gracious to us. And what is he asking God to do for this specific group of people? Give grace, give blessing, and shine his face. And when we take these three together, this is a holistic conception of God's favor. It's God's favor that rolls out in every sphere of life and makes us flourishing people. We could put it this way. God, please, look specifically on us corporately. Set us in right relationship with you. Forgive our sins. Redeem us. Set our spirits free. Prosper us. With one another, reconcile all of our relationships so that we don't walk around with unresolved conflict and strife. Within each of us, Give us harmony and wholeness and unity of being. 
May we not leave fractured individuals with compartmentalized lives behaving this way in one place and this way in another place. Redeem our relationship with creation so that under our work and our care, you prosper us. May husbands and wives selflessly love one another so that children would grow up in homes marked by that delicate and beautiful combination of love and discipline, and then grow up and become the type of people who would then lay down their lives for the glory of God and the good of their fellow man. In other words, prosper us, God, spiritually, socially, materially, emotionally, in every way. God, do this for us. That's what verse 1 asks. And, and here's the logic. Why? Do you see that word, that, so that? Your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So God, bless us with grace that through us, all nations would know how you work how you look, what your salvation is like. And the nations here are all those who don't know God, who don't serve him, and are in desperate need of his grace. And the logic of the psalm is the logic of all of scripture. God, who desires all people to be saved, 1 Timothy 3, calls a specific group of people out of the nations so they, they might live for him in the midst of the nations. And in doing that, people would be drawn to him. The emphasis here is a corporate reality. When I take this back to the us, that's important. God is making a specific group of people so beautiful, so peaceful, so prosperous and firm, then he's, then he's like planting them in the midst of the nations so that when those who are not a part of those people see them, they say, oh, that's how God works. And they're captivated by his salvation. So I'm reminded by way of illustration of a story I heard. This was a Christian family who left their home in the States to move to the Middle East in order to assist in planting a church there. A, a new husband and wife and their young baby. And as part of the work there, they had befriended a Muslim lady um, and were in, in the process of being a friend to her. And they had invited her over to their house uh, for fellowship, for uh, interaction, for friendship. And while they were there, the, the baby needed a diaper change. So the husband, wanting to serve his wife, took the baby to another room. And, and the Muslim lady said, Where, where's your husband going? And the wife said, oh, he's going to change the diaper. And the Muslim lady responded by saying, in my culture, it is unheard of for a man to change a baby's diaper. What is it that would make your husband do that? And, and, and the wife, aware of the realities of this psalm, said, my husband has been given great grace in Jesus Christ, 
who humbled himself so that my husband might be saved. And because of that, my husband can humble himself and do gracious things for me, such as change my baby's diaper. A simple thing, but this was a pivotal moment in that woman's way to Christ. She saw a beautiful interaction between two of God's people that made her say, I want that. It's an example of the way that God graciously transforms the lives of his children in order to shine through them to others. And surely this doesn't just happen in the Middle East, right? Why at Grace do we do community groups? Is it just a chance to eat, to socialize, to see one another's homes? No. It's because of the us in verse 1. Right, the diaper example only happened because there were two graciously transformed individuals interacting with each other in a beautiful way, and that makes someone else say, I want that. I want what happened to you to happen to me. I want grace. And so we do community groups right? at grace so that one new creation rubs shoulders with another new creation in a beautiful way. See, our witness to the world is truncated if we're always isolated from one another. But our witness is made more glorious when we deeply know one another. But so much of our culture, right, Western American culture, is like the crowning jewel of individualism. We can do it ourselves. We can live in these silos of our houses and not see each other very often and do okay. But, but this psalm, the, the pronoun in verse 1 is plural for a reason. It's the same reason Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father. This psalm is a balm to those of us that feel the weight of the world when we look around and wonder, what can, what can I do about it? Well, you alone can do little and are meant to do little. But you are a member of the body of Christ, and we together are being changed into a beautiful community that reflects God's light to the world. I'm reminded of Isaiah 2, where the house of the Lord is portrayed as the highest of all mountains, and all the nations flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And the logic of this psalm rolls into this crescendo or this climax in verses 3 through 5. We should hear the music get loud, the choir singing all out. This is where the whole psalm is headed. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Notice that verse 3 is repeated in verse 5, when Hebrew poetry does this, when it makes a sandwich, right? The meat is in the middle. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? Because their redemption is here. Our minds should be filled with this wonderful image in which all peoples of the earth from every language, tribe, nation, and tongue. As it says in Revelation, people from 
the islands of the Pacific to the snow-swept plains of Siberia, from the slums of Kenya to the palaces of Saudi Arabia, from the beaches of Australia to the desert towns in the Sahara, from the pyramids of Egypt to the castles of Scotland, to the skyscrapers of Dubai, to the streets of Shreveport are filled with this down deep in the soul joy and gladness because their deepest longing and their greatest need has been met in God. And their joy will come because they will have seen and known God as the fair judge, as the guide of the earth. They'll no longer be tossed around by false gods worshiping idols that have no life. They'll no longer be crushed under oppression and unjust rule because they'll place their hope in the just judge of all the earth. And they'll no longer be helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd, shepherd because God will be their shepherd king. They will have embraced the saving power of God and hope. And this is what makes the nations sing. Now, I think it's fair to ask, we live in Shreveport. How can what we do possibly impact the nations? And the response of this psalm is, it's a prayer. Lift up your eyes in prayer, sing and pray that God would so profoundly bless us that what he does in us would reverberate among all nations. See, there's a sense in which Every group of believers, wherever they are throughout history, can ask the same question because every group of believers is profoundly local wherever they are. And this psalm says, sing, pray, you local particular group of believers, and look up to the God who desires all men to be saved. Remember that the mission that you are involved in is infinitely grander than what's happening in your particular situation and pray to him that he would bless you so that the nations would be glad. Watch him do it. Beautiful. Yet, you may say, that's not been my experience. Here's the problem. God's chosen people, the us of verse 1, whether it was Israel in the Old Testament or the church in our own day, often don't at all exhibit the flourishing life that God requires or desires in verse 1. Often, God's people, rather than being set apart, look just like the nations around them. In a sense, this is the story of the Old Testament. Israel, rather than being a light to the nations, calling the nations to God, so often bow down to the gods of the nations and profane the name of the one true God. Likewise, it's no secret that the sins and scandals of the world, of our society, also plague the church. The division and strife that is so strong in the world is also felt in our lives. We don't need to look very hard to see that, to see examples of that in the church. And following the logic of the psalm, therefore, in many ways, the nations don't have life. 
They are not drawn to sing for joy in God, and they remain lost. So the logic of the psalm doesn't seem to be working, and the crescendo doesn't sound very loud. The nations, rather than singing for joy, are left silent. We know this. Rather than songs of joy rising from every corner of the earth, it's filled with beautiful communities of God-glorifying people. Billions of people today are born, live their whole lives, and die, and never hear the grace, the saving power of God. Villages and cities exist, wherein the history of their existence, a song of praise to the true God has never been. But what do we make of this? As we look around, we see the disparity of the prayer of this psalm and what we see in the church today. The truth of the psalm is actually highlighted. Here's what I mean. If God's people deeply desire to see the nations be glad, and sing for joy in God. What we need is to be radically changed by the grace, blessing, and shining face of God ourselves. And following that history of Israel that we just spoke about, if there's one thing it teaches us, it teaches us that we can't do it on our own. We need a savior. So left to ourselves, rather than calling the nations to God, we will actually follow the nations in attempting to find our joy in everything other than God. We'll actually profane him in the world rather than calling the world to him. We won't be a peculiar people. We'll be just like them. So what do we do? We follow that same story of the way that Israel failed in many respects to fulfill its call to be a light to the nations, all the way to its fulfillment in the true Israel, Jesus Christ. For in every way that Israel failed their call to bless the nations, Jesus fulfilled that call. That's why Isaiah 49 says of Jesus, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And that's why the psalm ends where it began on a hopeful note that God shall bless us. Verses 6 and 7. And what we know is that the blessing of God is ultimately fulfilled and comes to us in Jesus Christ. Speaking of the grace in verse 1, he's the one who bore the judgment so that we might have grace. Speaking of the blessing, he's the one who took the curse so that we might be blessed. And speaking of the shining face of God, he's the one who bore God's wrath so that upon us, God's face might shine. And when we see Jesus in this way, we truly are changed. See, grace isn't this transactional thing. Uh, here's grace deposited into your account, now go give it to the nations. Rather, it's personal, relational, organic. It's more like a love relationship than it is a business transaction. And love really changes you. This psalm is saying, 
may God so overwhelm us with the grace and blessing of Jesus Christ that we become new creations. And may this happen corporately among us so that when we rub shoulders with one another, we do so beautifully and we prosper and we become beautiful in the eyes of the world so that they're drawn to the grace and blessing that is the source, namely Jesus Christ. So, in a few minutes, when, as we do each Sunday, we close our service by singing this song, let's remember what's happening in our midst. God has chosen us. Out of all the people in the world, he's called us to himself and made us new in Jesus. And from first to last, that's his grace. And then he's knitted us into a community, desiring to make us beautiful and peculiar and set apart, joyfully living out the gospel of grace in every sphere of our lives. All so that it would spill out from us, it would overflow from us, we would be changed so that when others see us, they would know Christ, that the peoples would praise the Lord, that the nations would be glad. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Ultimately, what we write about is something that none of us can do on our own. And for that reason, we lift our eyes to Jesus. We lift our eyes to the one who took the curse that we might be blessed. You took the wrath that face might shine on us, and through whom we have grace. And we ask for that as we look at Jesus, He would change us, make us new, and make us beautiful, that we may be a shining light for you in the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.